the nice thing is the longer we do this, the more we can get into the kind of the plumbing of this town and try and figure out how power works in Ottawa. There have always been two groups that I wish people knew more about. One is the diplomatic corps. Um, getting appointed as ambassador to Ottawa is actually a big deal, and the people who come and work here are extraordinary. Maybe over time we'll be able to have a couple of them come out and talk to you. And the other group is the Senate, um, famously called a million years ago a taskless thanks. It is actually a place where uh, serious people who've had long careers doing interesting things come and do what they can to improve the legislative process. And it is even more interesting in recent times than it has been for a while because uh, Justin Trudeau started a bit of a revolution there uh, a few years ago in the way that senators are appointed. Uh, the three senators uh, we are inviting tonight are, I'm sure, going to be very cordial as they discuss all of this, but as you'll learn, they come from different factions and they have different opinions about what's going on at the Senate. And that's why we're happy to have them. Please welcome Jane Cordy, Denise Batters, and Paula Simons. This is the first time I've had more than one guest. Um, and it's caused all sorts of chaos. I normally sit on that side. And, I'm very uh, sorry. Sorry, we so, <laughs> so you'll be fidgeting all, all evening. Now you? I know what it's like to be a floor crosser. Um, <laughs> let us, uh, uh, I'm going to talk about a moment in the history of the Senate that two of you were here for. And, uh, and ask you to talk to me about that day and about what you think has happened since then. And Jane Cordy, I'm going to start with you. You are, were uh, appointed by Jean Chrétien 20 years ago this year. 19, 20 years in June, you're right. Yes. It's true. Yeah, it is 2020. Before that, you were 30 years an elementary school yes. teacher on various boards in the Halifax Dartmouth area and yes. in the Port Authority of, yes. of, um, of uh, Halifax. And... Um, were you in caucus on January 28th, 2014, when Justin Trudeau kicked all of the Liberal senators out of caucus? That day is forever etched in my mind, Paul. <laughs> I can give you every detail about it. Uh, please uh, take, a, like, say, four or five minutes to tell us about what, what, what happened then and what you think has been happening since then. Well, I was actually vice chair of National Caucus. The chair was always a, a member of uh, the House of Commons, and the vice chair was always a senator. So I was vice chair of National Caucus. And the night before, we all got an email saying that all of the regional and national caucuses were being canceled for the next day, which was a surprise for me being vice chair of the National Caucus. But anyway, we still had our Senate caucus. So all senators were meeting that morning, a Wednesday morning. And we got there, and I looked around, and... Uh, I saw that it was only senators, and I thought, well, that was pretty strange. And then Senator Cowan called us to order, so we all sat around the table, and then uh, Mr. Trudeau came in, who was not prime minister at the time. We were in not even opposition. It was third party at that time. So he came in and told us that we would no longer be part of the National Caucus, and uh, it was devastating and very hurtful to us. At the time, you can look back and reflect differently on it, but not at, not at that particular time. It was very 
difficult for us because many had been longtime members of the Liberal Party uh, and had worked during elections and had been very active as I was being vice chair. And so it was, it was uh, very, very difficult for us. But we stayed and met for the whole morning, just the group of us, to decide what we were going to do, what we would call ourselves, um, how we were going to move forward, uh, being more independent. And uh, it, worked out, it worked out well. Uh, I will tell you that within the next couple of days, I canceled my Laurier Club membership, and my husband canceled <laughs> his Laurier Club membership. Uh, and we kept getting phone calls like, why, why did you leave, and would you renew it? And my husband said, uh, as soon as you put these senators back into your National Caucus, <laughs> I, we will both renew it. Because he was always the one at home in Nova Scotia answering the phone for, for that type of thing. Uh, but we've moved on from there. And luckily, our, the chair of our um, Senate caucus at the time was Jim Cowan from Nova Scotia. And I have tremendous respect for Jim and everybody in the caucus did. So we moved forward and onward. And, and you can't look back, although you always remember it. You can't really look back. Uh, you, you just have to move forward. And we did move forward. And uh, we, we became independent. Um, and we, we, I think we did very, very well. Denise Batters, you had been a senator for about a year on that day. Yes. You were a, uh, an attorney, yes. Queen's Counsel, 12 years in private practice, mm-hmm. political staffer in Regina for the provincial government, yes. appointed to the Senate by Stephen Harper in 2013. When did you hear that Justin Trudeau had kicked all the, liberal, all the senators out of the Liberal caucus? Did you buy it? And what do you think has been happening since then? Um, I actually heard in the middle of National Caucus. I was in the National Conservative Caucus. At least you didn't hear before I did. So no. <laughs> <laughs> no, we didn't. <laughs> um, and we were all very surprised. At the same time, I actually remember uh, thinking with some of my colleagues that, wow, that's quite a stunt for, for Justin Trudeau to pull. That was my kind of immediate reaction. I thought it was a mistake on his part because even though we had only been, um, I had only been in the Senate for a year at that point, I had already been sitting on the legal committee for, with people like Serge Joyal and George Baker, long-standing, you know, liberal partisans, but extremely effective senators, and uh, I just thought that that was a real blow to his caucus because I knew that how our senators, what the kind of impact we had in our national caucus, and now we're the only ones that um, sit in a national caucus. And I think that's actually um, has not helped um, the Liberal Party. And I have said uh, a number of times in the last few years that I think that if Justin Trudeau had senators like Senator Cordy, Senator Baker, Senator Joyal in his caucus, I don't think he would have made some of the mistakes that he has in the last few years because he would have had that significant corporate memory that those people bring, that political insight, that long-term vision that sometimes being a brand new elected member, and they've had a couple of caucuses already where they have a lot of brand new MPs. You don't have people that have been you know, building the Liberal Party from the ground up and uh, people who have been in those regions hearing concerns of their constituents for sometimes a couple of decades. So that's interesting. I actually hadn't thought of it that way, that this was a guy who, as it would turn out, was on his way to being the youngest prime minister since Brian Mulroney. Um, and the first thing he did was fire his institutional memory. Absolutely, yes. And I thought it was really mainly because he was trying to get himself away from the Senate expense scandal with liberal senators, mm-hmm. 
and it was such a short-term thinking. Um, Mm-hmm. Okay. We will unpack all of that as we go along. Paula Simons, your colleague, or you used to be. Yes. Well, um, I, I, you know, I still think of myself 30 years as a journalist. Yeah. Um, when we were on tour for the C69 hearings, we walked into a hotel ballroom where hearings were taking place. There was a table labeled media, and I actually went. And I, <laughs> I, 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 I tried to sit down there and then realized, no, I don't get to sit there anymore. I have to sit at the big kid table now. <laughs> um, you uh, are from Edmonton. You uh, have a long career in journalism. So Al- long. Alberta Report. You were kind of the house lefty at Alberta Report. I was one of them, yes. <laughs> okay. they, 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 they were a stable of us. And, uh, and then the Edmonton Journal, where you were a columnist for a long time. There are four national newspaper awards that have your name on them, some yeah. with many other colleagues. and, and Some all by myself. There you go. And uh, you wrote in to apply for your Senate seat and were appointed by Justin Trudeau. Um, let's go back to this. Let, let me ask you the same question as everyone else. I didn't check today. Did you write a column about Zen, uh, um, Mr. Trudeau's move in 2014? I don't think that I did. I was the city columnist for the Edmonton Journal, so from time to time I would write about national issues, but I wasn't covering what was happening in Ottawa. I mean, I think going back at the time, I was as surprised as anyone else, but it seemed, I think, a good move in his mind to jettison that baggage. I don't know. I mean, I've had exactly one conversation with the Prime Minister, which was the day he called to, to offer me my place in the Senate. So I was really intrigued because, of course, at the time he did it, I mean, Senator Cordy's right, they were the third party. And he will remember going into that election, there was no expectation that they would form the government. So boom, there they were in government, and he had made this commitment to give the Senate its independence. And it's a pretty bold step. Whether you think it's a good idea or a bad idea, it was a very brave idea because there were many Senate vacancies. Uh, Prime Minister Harper had left a lot of seats empty. Uh, and... The Prime Minister, <laughs> I mean, I, I never understood, was the theory that he was waiting for all the senators to die? I, I'm not sure. But, but, he was, but he was leading in the polls at right? that time, so and he, he was expected to yeah, win that election. Yeah. So, so Mr. Trudeau becomes Prime Minister. He's made this promise, uh, and, and he could have packed the Senate with loyal liberals. I mean, he's made 52 appointments under this new system. Mm-hmm. He could have appointed 52 loyal liberals who would have been very amenable to bringing forward his legislative agenda. Instead, he made really quite a radical decision to appoint independents. And when you fill out the forms, you get extra brownie points for being nonpartisan. So he has appointed 52 people who have tended to be, not exclusively, but who have tended to be nonpartisan, who've tended to be very independent thinkers, who've tended to be people who were, to put it bluntly, alpha dogs in their own dog parks. So, I mean, they were, they're used to being powerful decision makers. And he's put them all together and told them to be independent. The consequence of that is that people are being independent, which isn't always very comfortable for the government, and has made things interesting in the Senate in a way that perhaps, I don't know that anybody thought through the logical consequences of of filling the Senate with independent-minded people. 
These batteries. <laughs> I, 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 sense you, I, I sense you want to um, respond, perhaps on the theme of how independent they are. Right. Um, and I think it's, you know, if, if Justin Trudeau was really worried about it, it's worked out pretty well for him. The average voting percentage is 86% of the Trudeau independents vote with the government. And I would say that the Senate has always been an independent institution with senators who are independent because they have the security of tenure. Um, they don't have to have a, a prime minister or party leader sign their nomination papers in order to get run for the next election or something like that as MPs do. Um, but also I would say that there, there were a lot of alpha dogs in the Senate before <laughs> and there always will be. Um, you know, people who have extremely um, accomplished careers um, prior to coming to the Senate. And uh, so I think that in many ways, um, yes, I have called it Trudeau's fake independent Senate on occasion. Um, I think that uh, in large part, um, Justin Trudeau has appointed people who tend to be liberals, um, people on the left wing side of the political spectrum. And he has appointed many senators who have significant liberal party ties, Trudeau Foundation ties, those kinds of things. So, yeah. And he's appointed people like uh, like Patty Labacan Benson, who's uh, who appointed at the same time as I was from Alberta, who was a card carrying progressive conservative, worked on Jim Prentice's conservative campaign. And Trudeau uh, Foundation. She's Trudeau Foundation. Well, she, she identifies herself as a progressive conservative and says that, you know, Diefenbaker was always her political hero. So that's an what, easy stance what, what, to take. What I say, <laughs> about, what I say about, the, about the arm's length body that, uh, that nominates people is it could have longer arms. Uh, yeah. and, and, the, and there could be more transparency. And I think Senator Batters has raised this question in the chamber. And I think it's, I think it's a fair question. As a journalist, I would want to know, too. I mean, I can tell you that for myself, I have never been the member of any political party. Mm -hmm. I have written critically of all political parties. Mm -hmm. uh, when I was going through my Senate vetting, um, you know, they want to know, they want to make sure you don't have a gambling addiction. Um, you, know, do, you know, does your daughter do drugs? They have many questions. And then at the end, they said, well, have you ever said anything on, on Twitter or social media that could serve to embarrass the prime minister? And I said, oh, lots of things. It's <laughs> <laughs> almost the point. Yeah. So, you know, um, and certainly I think my own voting record has been eclectic, shall we say. Um, 74%. And I want to, it's a solid beat. Mine? I, I, yeah. I, yeah. Thought, I thought and I was I just right down And I want you to know that the progressive group, which mm -hmm. I'm a member, uh, our voting record is much lower than the independent groups um, in, in terms of percentages of voting in favor of government legislation or motions that come forward. Um, I think, though, I, one of the things, and Senator Harder has spoken publicly about this, so I'm not using his name in vain. Mm -hmm. And you're absolutely right. If somebody has a political background or has been involved in politics, it immediately negated them from joining the Senate. And I actually think that's wrong. I think that the independence is very good. And I think when you're not sitting in caucus, uh, which was, as I told you earlier, devastating at the time, but I think that gives you a different perspective. You're not looking at the... the um, 
implement the, the beginning of the bill. You're not sitting down with the minister who is bringing in the bill and that you've really got to get this done. And the minister is sitting beside you in caucus saying, you know, you've really got to rally the troops and pass this bill. So all of that part is removed because you're not sitting in caucus. But if somebody were to be a wonderful MLA or MP, then that shouldn't negate their appointment to the Senate. And I know um, people who were independent before they were encouraged to run to become an MP or become an MLA. And so they can't apply. There's no point in them applying because, and Senator Harder made reference to that, not a house full of, of parliamentarians or or whatever, but but I think that we can have an independent Senate, but we can also have some people within the Senate who bring the perspective perspective of politics. Because whether we like it or not, the Senate is a political body. It's we're, yes. we're passing legislation, therefore we're political. Mm -hmm. But I do I can look back um, from the time that we were kicked out and say, you know, being an independent chamber is not a bad thing. Okay. Um, before we go any further, let's declare gang colors. You belong to the uh, Progressive Senate group. Yes, I'm the which, leader of the Progressive Senate group. Which yeah. is substantially people who were liberal, uh, were in the Liberal caucus until they were told they weren't. They weren't all liberal. Uh, they were all in our Liberal caucus, but one, Senator Lillian Dick, was actually a card-carrying member of the New Democratic Party when she was appointed by Paul Martin. Okay. Yeah, but she um, is now come with us, yes. Um, I remember that made my friends in the NDP quite cross at the time that a liberal prime minister was appointing a new democratic uh, senator uh, because the NDP didn't, has never believed there should be a Senate. But anyway, so now she's with you. Uh, the NDP wouldn't let her sit as an NDP senator. She actually tried the, to. The women MPs from the NDP party allowed her to sit with them oh, really? in their meetings, but their leader at the time would not allow her to sit. So we are absolutely thrilled to have her in our Liberal Caucus, Independent Liberal Caucus, and now in a progressive group. My colleague Susan Delacourt likes to say politics is like high school. Um, <laughs> yeah, there's, there's, yeah. there's a fair bit of that going on. Paula, you're in the Independent Senators Group? That's right. The ISG, which, the ISG. Is, which is now, it's now most of the Senate. Um, I think the numbers keep changing. I think we're now at 50. Okay. So 50 out of 98 who are currently seated because there are six, seven, seven vacancies. Okay. And then there's the other independent group, which is not represented here tonight, and that's the Canadian Senators Group, which is led by Scott Tannis. It's very confusing right now. <laughs> You folks make it easy. You sit as a conservative. We do. Yes. Um, it's just very open and transparent. And you, uh, <laughs> you're a member of the Conservative National Caucus. I am, yes. Uh, and I watched question period today. Mm -hmm. Senator Plett goes, gets up and he asks questions on the uh, what's the wet and blockades. Mm -hmm. And, and the, his tone is very much like what we hear in the House of Commons. And... Does it sometimes feel like you're eating cotton candy? Like you're, you're, you're acting like uh, the opposition to a government that claims it's not there. Um. <laughs> well, one thing is that's a bit strange is all the different titles, right? Yeah. Um, we have a government leader who doesn't want to call himself a government leader, wants to call himself a representative, and um, the whips like to call themselves, I think, liaison. I, I can't keep track, so I just call them the, the titles that have existed for 150 years, and that explain what generally the roles really are. 
But as far as what we ask about in question period and um, have debates and that sort of thing, and I, I know when we were talking before the show, you were saying that you were watching and you were surprised how much more, or you'd kind of forgotten how much more cordial it is in the Senate as opposed to the House of Commons. And that generally is the case, whether it's in committees or even in the chamber in question period. Um, you know, there's not really a lot of heckling. You can usually listen to the debate and not have to use your earpiece, unlike the House of Commons. Occasionally, but uh, no, it's usually. But at the same time, um, I think what you saw Senator Plett reflecting today, and certainly what we've been seeing all week, is Canadians are very frustrated and um, and kind of afraid of what is happening right now with these blockades, what it's doing to our economy, and that sort of thing. And uh, Senator Plett's from Manitoba. I'm from Saskatchewan, and people in the West, farmers can't move our product. We're frustrated because we see. You know, um, different provinces saying, "Hey, why don't why can't in, in Quebec right now they're wanting propane, but yet they're sometimes opposed to pipelines." So, mm -hmm. it doesn't make a lot of sense to us. So, I, I think what you're seeing reflected is we're doing our jobs as senators and reflecting the concerns of the people of our regions because that's our job. But number it's, one, it's very difficult. There are three members in the Senate whose job it is to get through all government legislation. Mm -hmm. That's a challenge. They're going around and speaking with every individual senator. And you'll notice the three who did it for the last session didn't. I'll use the term re-offer. They chose not to go back. And it's a very difficult, very challenging job. And I think that if you're trying to get government legislation through, that it should be more than three people, in fairness yeah. to them. And I wouldn't want to do any of the three jobs, or five, or however many there were. It is difficult, because you are counting noses, yeah. and the independent senators are not whipped. And I think sometimes this is frustrating for our... No, but I think this is sometimes frustrating for our conservative <laughs> colleagues who want to know how we're voting, and we don't know how we're voting, because each yeah, of us makes up our... Predict each of us makes up <laughs> our own mind. And so it can be challenging. I, but I think, you know... Uh, both Senators Batters and Cordy have raised the issue of the independent senators. Is their voting pattern that independent? I think, to be honest, that there was a challenge in the first year because people didn't want to upset the apple cart. They were afraid to defeat legislation because they didn't want people to think the independent Senate experiment wasn't working. Yeah. So I think there was a great hesitance. Sometimes, I mean, there were two cases that we came very, very close to defeating legislation. And then people, people got cold feet. And I think we're worried about setting the precedent uh, of being that obstructive. Because at the end of the day, we are an appointed body. We show deference to the elected House of Commons. But nobody quite knows. In Britain, they have what they call the Salisbury Convention, which says that the House of Lords can't defeat legislation if a government ran on that as part of their platform. Nobody's entirely certain whether the Salisbury Convention applies in Canada, uh, because we're a very different country than the United Kingdom. And even then, you know, what's in a platform as opposed to what's implicit in a platform? So there were a couple of cases, C-48, which was the tanker ban, which I was most closely associated with, um, where I thought, it was, I thought it was defective legislation. I voted against it. Uh, we came very close to defeating it. And I know that there were senators in our group who were very critical of C-48, but who at the end of the day thought it was a bad first impression to kill a bill that had been implicit, even if not explicit, in the government's platform. 
So I think it's been a it's been a balancing act, and I can tell you that in our in our we don't call ourselves a caucus, and we don't have a leader. We have a facilitator. It's very it's very sort of like a it's new aging, very new aging. Yeah. Um, a rose by any other name, but, right? Yeah. right? But, it walks but, like a but, but it's it's a it's a real challenge because we have very robust debate in those meetings. People have very different points of view. But at the end of the day, I think we were always looking over our shoulder with the concern, you know, if we're too uppity, if we don't know our place, have we derailed the bicameral parliamentary system? Yeah. I mean, certainly when I voted against C48 in committee, our sometime colleague, Andrew Coyne, was very taken. He was not happy. He did not think that was the role of the Senate. Mm. I, I think Senator Batters is correct. It is the role of the Senate to represent regions and to defend regional interests. And sometimes that's going to put us at odds with the government. So I've got a friend in Toronto who's a great Canadian, capital G, capital C. And in the first six months of the, of the Trudeau government, three people had written to him asking for letters of reference for their Senate application. <laughs> and this guy had his own test. And it was, he asked each of these candidates and was going to ask anyone else who wanted a recommendation letter. Um, the House of Commons sends a bill up. You senators get to amend it and send it back. Yeah. And then they send it back up and they reject some of your amendments. Do you send it back down again? Do you turn it into a ping pong match which risks derailing legislation well, that the House of Commons has passed? This, this was the C48 question. And so far the Senate has not sent anything back down a second time. The, 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 yeah, so far in history. Yeah. That's the thing, this is not a new yes. um, element. This has been the case in general, with very few exceptions for 150 years. We've always recognized the deferential aspect of it's it. It's clear that some of your colleagues are uh, sorely tempted by how much fun that would be. Uh, <laughs> well, C48, believe me, I mean, well, that well, was just so egregious. Yeah. Well, C48. And it really was not mentioned in the Liberal platform. It was briefly mentioned yes. in a speech. I mean, it was just very tangentially. But getting but, back to your point, I <laughs> think that that has been the pattern for mm -hmm. over 150 years. Yes. And I look at it, if we send amendments back and the government, regardless of who's in power, mm -hmm. and they examine them or should examine them, usually they'll accept some but not all of them and it comes back to us, then my feeling is that they are the elected body. They are going back to their constituents to run for re-election, whether it's in six months or two years. and. It's a minority government, it could be any time. Um, then I think that we have given it our best shot and we have made some amendments, but. I mean, I think, it should it be a constitutional question? I mean, the black and white questions are always the easiest to answer. A government that brings in legislation that is clearly in defiance of the Charter, then it is the Senate's job to protect minority rights and to protect the values of the Charter. <laughs> and, you know, when it's black and white, then it's easy. Yeah. The problem is that it's mostly shades of gray. Okay. So something's a little bit unconstitutional. How unconstitutional? I mean, what, I mean, you know, I mean, the, the, I'll give you the, the example: the random alcohol testing amendment that I brought in. Yeah. Um, it actually it passed because it was so unconstitutional. I actually got support from um, uh, liberal colleagues of mine on the Senate Legal Committee, and it passed the Senate Legal Committee, and it passed the full Senate. And then the Trudeau government decided to, and it was because 
Um, someone like Sir Joyel, who was the chair of the legal committee at the time, thought it was so egregiously unconstitutional, as I do, and already it's getting challenged in the courts, and I'm sure that um, this will be a bill that will be found to be, that portion of it will be found to be unconstitutional. Uh, right at the end of the June sitting that particular year, the Trudeau government spiked it and sent it, sent it just back in the overall package to close down the House. So they didn't accept it. And uh, the Supreme Court of Canada, I think, one, one of these years will kick that yeah. back. So, you know, we had one of the first debates I took part in, and actually I didn't take part, I just listened with big wide eyes, was uh, the post office. You know, when the, when the postal workers went on strike, and it was a rotating strike, and the government ordered them back to work. And there was an extraordinary debate. I mean, people who are cynical about the Senate, and I know that's most of you, um, go back and listen to that debate or read the transcript. So many highly intelligent people with di very different perspectives, people who had been union leaders in their previous lives, people who'd been constitutional law professors, people who'd been judges. Um, uh, our, our colleague Francis Lankin, who had been an NDP cabinet minister in Bob Bray's government, who, who had to order workers back to work. So there were very nuanced, well-informed opinions. And I mean, two of the most brilliant jurists in the Senate uh, Pierre Delphine and Mark Gold had completely different perspectives on whether this bill was unconstitutional enough that we should that we should defeat it. So, in the end, the bill passed, and in the end, I voted against it because I was convinced by Senator Delphine's argument. But, you know, when the bill comes that says, I mean, I'm going to make something up that you know that you know, when, when the, the Margaret Atwood bill comes and they take away women's bank cards, then we'll all vote against it and it will be, you know, it will be vetoed by the Senate. But the problem is that you don't usually get cut and dried, cut and dried black and white yeah. arguments like that. But I think you, you touched on a point about the speeches that we heard during that time. And I just remember the medical assistance and dying bill. And you get bills like that that are... You're looking at the legal aspect, but you're also looking at it from a very emotional aspect, and people are looking at it from their religious beliefs aspect. So to sit back, that's why I'm really glad the Senate is televised, because some of the speeches that take place are incredible. Like People spend a lot of time, do a lot of research. The backgrounds of the people within the chamber provide different experiences of people bring to the Senate and bring to the debate. And it's really quite amazing to sit in awe listening to speeches on, on various subject matters. And it's a really important measure yeah. of accountability. Yes. The public yeah. pays a significant yes. amount of money for yeah. the Senate every year, and they deserve to see that we do yes. some really good work on their yes. behalf. And yes. that's why it's really important. And I know yeah. you were deputy chair of internal economy when yes. that change amongst yes. many other improvements that we've made to improve transparency and accountability yes. were put in, put in. And I know that I, from the time I came to the Senate, that was what, that was one of my big goals was to make sure we got and televised. We were both in the communications community yes, together I, I, for the same yes. reason. I, think. I, I was chastised today by a colleague because uh, I sit sort of on an angle behind the government representative and so I'm on camera more than I used to be and apparently I was obviously tweeting while uh, I'm supposed to I, I'm supposed to sit and look. Uh, but it, 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 it's tough because unlike the House of Commons, 
uh, we did something quite radical, and we have multiple yes. cameras and multiple angles. So you never know when you're going to be in a reaction shot. You never know when you're going to be on the kiss cam. So you have to, you know. <laughs> and, you to... and you do have to be careful. And even this afternoon, I went to talk to my colleague, Senator Dick, about something. And I sat down beside her, and I looked up, and we were both on. I said, oh, we're on the camera, aren't we? <laughs> And this is quite new, right? Like the yes. um, yeah. less than less a year, than a year. Right? Yes. that yeah. Senate proceedings have been televised. Actually on television? Are they on CPAC or are they... It is. They're on CPAC or... delay okay, on the television, but you can watch it streaming live, both on the yeah. Senate um, or on CPAC. Okay, yeah. so you're, like, you're the late night <laughs> shift sort of thing? Extremely, like, yeah. extremely Early late night. Like really popular among, yeah. among shift workers yeah. and rock and Insomniacs. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> really popular with everybody, I like to think. Absolutely, yeah, that's true. Um, and also in a new building because yes. Uh, yes. The, you're in the uh, traditional train station of yes. downtown yes. Ottawa, which the hasn't been. The chamber is where the tracks would have run. Mm-hmm. You make, make of that metaphor what you will. <laughs> but where the Constitutional Conference was also in 1982. Has, yes, where the Night of the Long Knives. Yeah. Uh, if, accord. Exactly. Well, I, I, I started my career in Quebec, so we call it the Night of the Long Knives. Yes. Um, yeah. We're talking about what to put on that plaque. We're actually going to have. Has the move to new real estate and the fact that the eyes of the Insomniac Nation are upon you uh, changed the tempo of proceedings in the, in the Senate at all? Has it changed the way things happen? I think. I mean, I was really lucky because I got sworn in in the old buildings. I got sworn in in Center Block. There was a gravitas to that building. You would look up and it, it's, you know, it's very Harry Potter, Hogwarts dining hall with the carved gargoyles and the pomp and the circumstance. In the new building, there is catastrophic carpet that yes. looks like it came from the... It was my parents' rumpus room. Oh, it's, it's just... I, I, don't know, I don't know. So, I mean, it's, it is a yeah. little bit... I feel like it's a little more relaxed. Yeah. And maybe that's just in my own head. Um, I, I do think it feels more accessible. Uh, there are very charming things about the building that we're in, which is ironically older than Center Block. It was just built in a, a, a Belle Epoque, uh, Art Nouveau kind of, kind of style. Um, and so I love the openness. I love the openness of the building because it, it's, Center Block is a bit like a fortress. Mm. And the train station is meant to welcome people in because it's a train station. And uh, I think Senator Munson had a whole bunch of guests in the gallery today who brought little kids. And as we were leaving, all the kids were running around the, you know, the, the entree of the train station playing hide and seek. And I thought, that's charming. <laughs> well, I, Do you I, miss, I mean, you spent longer in the yeah. real Senate. Than, the real Senate. Yeah. yeah, that's a good way to phrase <laughs> it. Senate. And I was actually, I think I was vice chair of internal economy. If not vice chair, I was certainly on it when we were, we were determining where we were going to go. So mm. I've been in the Senate for a long time. And initially, we were going to build a new building. Huh. And then we, as internal economy, decided that we've got the train station, which is historic, and which is going to cost millions of dollars less than it would to build a brand new building. And so I'm really glad about that part oh, of it. Yes. But it is it certainly looks different. There's nothing like being in center block. No. You know, it was just amazing really to it, walk yeah. up and to yeah. say, pinch yourself and say, I can't yeah. believe I work here. Yeah. And there's something I always found just absolutely haunting about the Senate chamber, mm-hmm. which is that the art in the chamber yes. is 
uh, war art. Yes. Mm -hmm. And it's as if whoever made the decision to hang that stuff up there essentially said, let's, let's make sure they never forget what the stakes are. Yes. And uh, the current place looks lovely, but it, it doesn't have that no. sort of... And I really miss the old place. Yeah. I would move back there tomorrow if I could. Yeah. Um, but I'm sort of a political geek from a long time ago. I wanted to be in the Senate since I was 12 years old. And yes, I understand <laughs> that that's not a normal thing no. to want to be when you're a kid. Um, but no, every so it's not no, no. But every so often I would actually look around that and I would think about that. And I would also think about my grandmother who came to Canada when she was about 20 years old from Ukraine. Mm. And uh, I just thought about how she would have been coming to Pier 21, which yeah. we had uh, a conservative convention a couple of years ago, which was just steps away uh, from where she landed 100 years ago. And I thought, isn't that amazing? Like how proud she would be that her, her dream kind of came true, that she came to Canada with nothing, left all these people behind to a land she didn't know the language, didn't know anyone here. And 100 years later, her granddaughter is in the Senate of Canada helping to make our laws better. So. And everybody should go to Halifax. Absolutely. <laughs> no, it's a, a great city, yes. Senator Corden is from Nova Scotia. <laughs> now, as you go about considering these bills and acting as, frankly, quite a bit more of a wild card than the House of Commons, what is your interaction with the government as opposed to with Conservative National Caucus? Or um, Do you get calls from ministers' offices? Do you get... Do you, I mean, how, how often do you run into line ministers who want to talk to you about their bills? Uh, Never. I mean, I'm a little baby senator. Perhaps they haven't noticed I'm here yet. I don't know. Yeah. I'm I've tried to make myself reasonably noticeable. Um, I have never had a phone call from a minister or a minister's office. Um, it's peculiar in a way. Um, and I, and so, one of the things that really shocked me, and perhaps it is because we're in a separate building now, a very separate building, is how very little contact hmm. we have with members of parliament. Hmm. Uh, so, I mean, I guess the only minister I really spoke with last year was Amarjeet Sohi, but that's because I knew him when, you know, when he was on Edmonton City Council and I was covering City Hall. So uh, we had a, you know, a pre-existing relationship. I guess it makes it sound like a pre-existing medical condition, but... Uh, <laughs> But, you know, even then we didn't, we, you know, we talked a little bit about Bill C-69 because uh, he was the Minister of Natural Resources and I was on the, the Energy Committee with Senator Cordes. But it's not, perhaps they speak to other people. They're not talking but I, to me. I guess I was looking at it saying I certainly get far more calls now from ministers than I ever got when I was in the Liberal Caucus. Really? Uh, yeah, and I just had one recently that if... But perhaps uh, because you're the leader of a group. Like, there's, there's yeah, some expectation so. that you can... Yeah. But I you've did... You've got coattails, or...? I don't think I have coattails. <laughs> but but I, no, I, I recall getting them, like, for the past few years that a minister would call and say, if you want a briefing, I'd be pleased to come and talk with you. Or if you want a briefing, I can send officials if you'd prefer not to meet with, his, meet with me. I think one of the really most positive things that we've had is that we have, I know it's on the order paper now and hasn't been dealt with, but ministers coming for question period yes. has been a real bonus. 
because it's one thing to have the leader of the government in the Senate relay the questions or to have a book in front of them answering questions. And this goes back to when the conservatives were in power. It doesn't matter. Um, so you've got a leader in the Senate with an open book and pulling out a file when you ask a question. Now you can have once a week, or hopefully we will have from my perspective, we have a minister once a week who can answer the questions. Yes, I think and that's really important. And it's been really positive. Really that's positive. my general um, interaction with the government now these days is questioning them in question period or a committee. They don't really phone me <laughs> these days, <laughs> this particular government, but uh, that's okay. But actually going back to when we were in government, I find that actually kind of unfortunate because uh, um, that they don't have that sort of contact because I think senators have that extreme corporate memory to offer in national caucus. And uh, we were actually able, there's been a lot of talk about how many, how many amendments have come forward in the Senate. and. Uh, Frankly, a lot of those amendments have been government-drafted amendments for technical issues that have arisen at the very final stages of a committee. Like uh, when I sit on the legal committee, I've been on there for almost seven years now, and I am shocked at how many times we get government technical amendments at the Senate legal committee. And this is after it's gone through the entire justice drafting stage, the entire House of Commons, mm -hmm. Senate debate, and then at the very last stage on clause-by-clause -clause day, they have these amendments to bring in, and that's very—it's unheard of, actually. Which is um, an we used to correct to those things. System for that's sure, true, but, but we used to correct them at caucus yeah, or in caucus advisory yeah. groups. Yeah. I, yeah. I want to run something by you that is very much about the way things used to be versus the way things may be now. Mm -hmm. um, um, printer's busted at home, so I, I, okay. I emailed the quotes to myself. Um, <laughs> uh, Justin Trudeau, young leader of the third party, on the day that he announced that he was. Um, making changes to his caucus, he said, if the Senate serves a purpose at all, it is to act as a check on the extraordinary power of the Prime Minister and his office. Um, was, was the Senate Be acting... what you wish for. <laughs> was, was the Senate acting as a check on Stephen Harper in 2014, and is it acting as a check on Justin Trudeau now? I think absolutely. I mean, certainly the Liberals, when they were the official opposition in those days, they were a tough opposition. Um, our government Senate leader had to come to question period, not just with, uh, I'm going to make inquiries and I'll get back to you. That was the rare answer. Um, they were briefed, they were sworn into Privy Council as the current um, government leader is now, but they were briefed well, they, had, they came in with the big binders, they were prepared to go and give those kind of answers. And uh, they held them to a brief well from our perspective asking questions not necessarily <laughs> well, perhaps not, but we certainly you it was rare that you got the kind of answer that we'll get back to you we'll give you a written response which would come in six months or something like that um, so I, I think yes to me that's one of the most important features of the Senate is that sober second thought and that's in legislation but it's also in holding the government to account it's a political institution that that needs to happen but I think this Senate as I say, I have 18 months of experience, not, not, not 20, so uh, I joined the Energy, Environment, and Natural Resources Committee early on because there were no Albertans on the committee, and I felt that with Bill C-69 coming, there needed to be, and Senator Cordy was on that committee with me. We dealt with Bill C-69, which, to be blunt, was a mess of a bill. It had many, many flaws. Mm -hmm. C-69 uh, was the one Jason Kenney called the No More Pipelines Act. Yes. yes. But it's, it's not a no more... I mean, the trouble with C-69 is that it dealt with every kind of major infrastructure project that could ever be in the federal ambit. Airports, 
trains, harbors, uh, every kind of infrastructure, and the, it was an unworkable piece of legislation. And we did something unprecedented. We decided as a Senate to hold hearings on the bill outside of Ottawa. That's the first time in the history of the Senate that that has happened. And I'm proud to say that I was the person who made the motion in committee for us to do that. And I worked very hard to convince my independent colleagues that they should support this idea because it was an expensive undertaking, but I think well worth it. And at the end I'm of the glad day, I went to Saskatchewan because yeah. initially you didn't well, want well, to. Well, I, I was yeah. trying. I was trying to, you know, I was, I was, try, you know, it's like when you when you're you're ordering catering for an event, and you're thinking, do I really need, do I really need three vegetable platters? You always need so, Saskatchewan. Yes. Yeah, so well, we. <laughs> I stayed at the Bessboro, and so I was very happy Absolutely. that we went to Saskatchewan. Great but uh, but it was it was a remarkable fact finding mission, and we came back. And we proposed, I think, in total, 187 amendments, some of which were duplicative because we sort of ended up... Or conflicted with one yes. another. Yeah. And in the end, the government accepted 99 amendments, which I believe is the most amendments any government ever has accepted to any legislation ever. And they were substantive amendments. Yes. They weren't just moving a comma splice or you know, fixing a, a technical flaw. Uh, now, but a lot of those were drafted by the government. Like my understanding is that ninety percent no, of the ones that no, they accepted were drafted no, 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 by no, the no, government. No, 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 no. That's the, inf we, that's we, the information. We were on that committee, yeah. and that, yeah, that's just was. that's just not true. There were I, I, maybe three or four technical amendments that Grant Mitchell suggested, but other ones were absolutely independent creations. Yeah. And Minister McKenna was very open. To amendments. Yeah. Right. Because I she think amended that, it a hundred times in the House of Commons. Well, I think also they recognized that it was a mess of a bill. It was. But in terms of. I covered the news conference where they introduced it, and she sounded so confident that they. <laughs> it was but just going to sail through. But you know, <laughs> I, I, I learned a valuable object lesson because I thought after we did all this work on the bill, this is how naive I was 12 months ago, I thought they would pat us on the head and give us a cookie. Oh, wonderful Senate, you fixed our complicated, problematic piece of legislation. And instead, because it was, it was you know, just no. before the Senate rose, uh, the government uh, gave an unsourced statement to CP saying that we, they had accepted no conservative amendments, which is not true. There's, a, there's another unparliamentary word for a not true thing. That was a not true thing. And then, of course, the conservatives were happy to say, yes, they accepted none of our amendments. Yeah. And I was saying, but, 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 but that's not true. Nobody wanted to listen. Nope. So I, I, so I realized, oh, of course, the independent senators weren't going to get a prize for, for dispassionately fixing bad legislation because it didn't serve either the liberals or the conservatives going into an election period to admit that it had been a bad bill and that we'd made it substantively better. That suited nobody's political narrative. Um, many premiers are still very against it, including well, liberal premiers from across the country. Well, it's still, it is still an imperfect bill. I mean, there are amendments that I had, that I had pushed for that weren't accepted, and I'm, and I'm sorry about that. Um, is it a better bill than what came to the Senate? Absolutely, I, absolutely it is. Jane Cordy, um, you worked as a senator uh, under liberal leaders Gretchen and Martin and Dion and Ignatieff, and I may have forgotten one or two. Um, and now you're, now you're not. Um, the, 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 the Senate, the liberal caucus in the Senate was an effective projection of liberal will and... History. Uh, yeah, and now it's... Kind of a strange thing. As do you think it's improved? Do you think it's do you, do you miss the, the the old ways? Do you? 
I miss the camaraderie. Um, we really got to know our MPs from across the country. Now I know some who have been around for a while, but not all. I know the MPs from, from Nova Scotia, and I make it a point of introducing myself, whether they're NDP, Liberal, or, or Conservative. As I said to the new Conservative MP from Nova Scotia, I sent him a note and said, if I can help in any way, I'd be pleased to. I know we have different political philosophies, because even though you're not in a caucus, that's, I'm a progressive mindset. Uh, we, want, we both want what's best for Nova Scotia, and I feel that way that you work with your colleagues from your, from your province, from your region. Uh, because you should be concerned about what's happening in your region, and you should be working together. And I think that um, I think that being independent, um, although I still have a, the mindset, doesn't mean that you agree with everything that's coming from the House of Commons from a Liberal government. It means that you look more objectively at it because you weren't there when it was just getting started. Um, but I think that uh, yeah, it's, it's different. Um. I know that it's been reported that um, senators are now more frequently approached by lobbyists uh, because you represent the wild card. Yep. Uh, how has that changed for those of you who remember the old ways? Um, and, and I mean, are the are the lobbyists right to target the Senate as the as the place where persuasive arguments might be listened to more carefully than in the other place? Or? I. I think that's a fair comment, um, but it has dramatically increased. I'm, I've seen some of the studies about it, um, and it's dramatically increased. And my perspective on that particular part has been that I wanted some more information about um, who exactly, uh, that's why I've been asking a lot of questions about who have the new, brand new senators that Justin Trudeau has appointed. They now can be what's called nominated or sponsored by a particular individual or organization. Can and I, I yes, they, I thought they got rid of that at no. the beginning. I mean, no. I certainly don't the know The very anybody. first group. The very first group was, was but not. And then there was a particular time when it wasn't. And then it started again, I think in the last couple of years, where somebody can be nominated by either an, an organization or an individual. And they give once a year or so, depends when they file the report, they give a list of all the organizations, which include corporations like big banks, Pharmaceutical companies, the Olga Pond Foundation, by a big <laughs> um, but then they don't list who the individuals are who can nominate a senator. And my concern about that is, if say somebody is actually nominated by a particular individual or corporation, and they're maybe getting lobbied by them, but that's not disclosed anywhere. That's why I was no, asking Senator Harder those kind of that, questions. That, 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 I no, am, but I you am, do have to disclose when a lobbyist when you meet with a lobbyist. You have to disclose, yes. but you don't know. Say, for example, if a particular senator mm -hmm. was nominated to the Senate by the Bank of Montreal, mm -hmm. um, and I then am, they I, end up... Uh, I have to say, I don't remember anything like that on the forms that I filled out. Well, perhaps uh, I don't, you weren't, I don't know. Of, I don't know. Sure I don't personally know of any senator who was nominated by a, have been by a body like that. Yeah. I mean, I think... There are a thousand organizations and corporations. But we're certainly getting lobbied. Yeah. I think where Absolutely. I particularly mm -hmm. noticed it was with Bill C-69, and yeah. I'm sure every oil industry from Alberta wanted to meet with us at the time. The day I was sworn in, you know, I, the, I opened my inbox, and there were, I mean, my, my first lobbyist met with me the morning after I was sworn in, the Canadian Energy Pipeline Association, I didn't have an office, so we had to meet in a supply closet mm -hmm. in Centre Block that was full of boxes of closed files. So, yes, I mean, I was, 
It was like a fire hose, the number of lobbyists who wanted to meet with me. I'm very happy that that's publicly disclosed, mm -hmm. that people can look and see that I met with these environmental groups, these groups from industry, you know, every, every lobbyist who comes to my office, yeah. there's a public record. And I have a very strict rule. I don't go to any, there are, there are a, a zillion functions on the Hill on any given night hosted by groups. I, I make it my practice. I don't go to any of them. Because if you want to lobby me, you can come to my office and it's on the public record. I'm not going to go and have a coffee uh, with a lobbyist or go to somebody's wine and cheese party. I just won't. I'm telling you, you're missing a big one with the poultry for, uh, yeah. industry, right? Because I, I, that I, is like chicken night on the hill. The, is... the firefighters that let because, you put on their equipment because take pictures. Because we don't need enough chicken, right? <laughs> yeah, like, uh, a friend of mine, I can remember we were at a meeting and she lifted the lid up and she said, if I eat one more piece of chicken, I'm going to grow feathers. <laughs> it is... Um, uh, but it's an interesting case because because all these inputs and and I mean I I hasten to add that um, uh, lobby work is important and necessary and perfectly legitimate. Yeah. I've got a lobbyist in the family and I have to I'll never stop repeating that. But I, I think of I think of but then the prime minister and ministers kind of sort of ignore you. Well, I, like, I, I, I don't. You know, I don't sound like I'm, you know, that I'm sad I didn't get invited to somebody's birthday party in yeah. the fifth grade, although I'm still mad about that. But, uh, but there, are, there are a lot of us, and people have to choose who I guess they think are, are influential people. Yeah. And I'm not from Ottawa. I'm mm -hmm. not from central Canada. I didn't come here already knowing I knew Amarjeet. That was, you know, but I didn't know uh, the infrastructure of the hill. And so, so I think other people like, you know, uh, our, our former colleague Andre Pratt, when he and I were working on amendments to C48, he said to me, you know, who are you talking to in the PMO? I said, I'm not talking to anybody at the PMO. But Andre knew those people from, from his previous life, and I just don't. I think of a specific case. Uh, one of your newest colleagues appointed February 3rd, Brent Cotter from Saskatchewan, appointed by the Prime Minister. Former Deputy Minister of Intergovernmental Affairs during the Romano. yeah mm -hmm. during the uh, uh, tense constitutional negotiations after the '95 referendum. Former Deputy Minister of Justice. Former Dean of Law at the University of Saskatchewan. Great school. Um, and uh, your alma mater. <laughs> and I think he taught at Dalhousie Law. Yeah, yeah. And, and is he just going to be the? And he will make great contributions to Senate debate. But in terms of his potential utility during a moment of, of stress on national unity, on an east-west axis, is he, is he going to be a Maytag repairman who they're just never going to uh, call uh, over there? I mean, is he... See, I think that's unfortunate because I think that if someone like that yeah. was potentially sitting in the Liberal caucus right now, maybe he could offer some real perspective to... Clearly a caucus who needs it right now, I think, on this particular issue. What do you think? We're talking about him behind his back, but... <laughs> He's from Saskatchewan. He's okay. Well, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm hopeful that he will do fabulous committee work. I mean, I, you know, I was just chatting with him today, and he seems like a, like, you know, in addition to all of his extraordinary accomplishments, he seems like a very nice guy. I mean, I think that he'll be a fabulous asset to the Senate, um, you know, uh, just from the questions he's been asking at our briefings. And, you know, I imagine that if he ends up on the Legal and Constitutional Affairs Committee, he'll make a fabulous contribution there. But, I mean, nothing is, I mean, 
It was funny, the day after, the day of the federal election, because the liberals lost all of their seats in Alberta, there are no government, and there are no, yeah, so there are no government MPs in, in Alberta. And people started asking me, oh, are you going to be in cabinet? Like, please, don't help. Um, I have no interest in being in cabinet. That is not why I, why I came to Ottawa. But nobody, you know, nobody is reaching out, I think, to the, to the, to the talent that they could tap into. I mean, it's I think awkward. that's unfortunate when, it, yeah. you know, they have two provinces that have no representatives. Yeah. And I think they should be talking to the people who actually live in those regions yeah, and I, represent I them. Don't, well, I don't I think, disagree. And I, I mentioned Denise earlier. and I have agreed on more things tonight. Look at <laughs> I know. We're bringing but, the country together. But I, I spoke earlier about the talent that we have in the Senate and just from across the country, from north, east, west coasts, uh, and I think that I, I would hope that if the prime minister or the ministers reach out to a senator who is very accomplished in one field or five fields, that that doesn't stigmatize the senator. Because I think that it's really important. I said it earlier. We're, it's a political body. Yes. And bills have got to pass the House of Commons and the Senate. And I think that if a prime minister or a minister can reach out and speak to somebody in the Senate who is accomplished and experienced, uh, then I think that's a positive thing. Absolutely. For everybody, we, not we for the Senate. We need to represent our regions, yes. right? Like yeah. earlier this week, I asked a couple of questions in question period about carbon tax on grain drying. My dad was a farm equipment dealer for 40 years in Saskatchewan. I know how, I just got a farmer who sent me his, uh, his carbon tax and GST bill from one month of grain drying alone. It was $2,900. Like it's just ridiculous. But I, but I a four hundred dollar rebate doesn't even come close. But to I think covering. in the past we could have. We often had. Not often. We did have ministers from the Senate to rep represent yes. a region that was not represented in the House of Commons. That's not going to no, happen now. Um, and and I think that was a way to rectify it. But Absolutely. if you can't do that, you can certainly reach out to senators from particular regions. We yes. could keep going low end at the end of days, but our time is running out. I want to, first of all, thank our partners and sponsors, the Canadian Bankers Association, who valiantly support uh, every one of these uh, events, the National Arts Centre, who give us consistently the best view yes. in Ottawa, and I would say in Canada, and our friends at CPAC, who are telling me that my time is up. Senators, <laughs> thanks so much for coming and shining a light on the work that you do. Thank you. Good thank night, you everyone. very thank much. You. Thank you for coming.